Greetings, uh, church and friends of the church. Um, we have been on a journey of reflection together, considering the realities and the lessons of the wilderness, this uh, season of being disconnected um, and dislocated from what's normal, from what used to feel like normal. Um, but in this episode, uh, we interrupt previously scheduled programming in order to bring this reflection which is an affirmation and the proclamation that Black Lives Matter. Uh, even though it's a little longer uh, of a reflection than, than um, I normally put out there, even though it's, um, it might be uncomfortable for you, I invite you to reflect on the true identity and heart and critical importance of this movement a movement which has been awakened in order to make our institutions, including policing, better. I invite you to reflect on that rather than being content to rest in any misunderstandings or indifference you have to the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, as I've been doing this reflection on my own, I have found some parallelism to my vocation helpful. I am a clergy member of the institution of the organized church. More particularly, I am a minister member of the Presbyterian Church USA, currently serving the Valley Forge Presbyterian Congregation in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. Now, this is a 60-some-year-old congregation within a centuries-old denomination that has about one and a quarter million uh, members in about 9,000 congregations in this nation. We have a constitution as a denomination and bylaws as a particular congregation by which um, I am required to abide. And they dictate our organizational structure, our mission, our order, and our forms, and the process by which discipline is levied against congregate members and minister members. We also have norms, traditions, uh, and a culture that have been shaped and reinforced throughout the decades and the centuries. These are the shared expectations, the habitual practices, the common status quo that are not demanded by the laws of the Constitution and are not demanded by any invitation or mandate from the scriptures but have become elevated, protected, and sustained by the people as they've lived out their membership in the institution together. Um, over the centuries, some of these traditions, norms, and cultural particularities have been helpful, like an emphasis um, on the rational and intellectual engagement of the Christian narrative and the scriptures. Some have been um, neutral, simply a matter of preference, like whether we use organs or praise bands um, for group singing. Some traditions, norms, pieces of culture have been unhealthy and counterproductive, like when a congregation develops a club-like culture that's inclusive of those who fit into the expectations, but exclusive of those who don't. And some of the norms and traditions and pieces of culture uh, within the institution of the church have been outright harmful and unjust. Uh, 
like norms that have enabled the continuation of paternalism and segregation, and norms uh, that, like so many other denominations and institutions, enabled persons of authority to sexually abuse members, including children. These norms, uh, which developed in denominational and institutional systems, led to either the turning of a blind eye to the paternalism, segregation, and abuse, or to imposing discipline that was far too lenient and allowed the worst offenders to retain membership and find new places to serve and also then abuse. Clearly, there um, was a moral failure on the part of the offender. But there's also systemic moral failure. In our denomination, um, we clergy are our own union in partnership with um, lay elders. Matters of discipline are referred to committees of peers, which in theory ought to lead to unbiased and faithful application of justice, but in all actuality, led far too often to leniency and cover-ups for the sake of protecting friends and colleagues. These committees were too often stacked with white men who ended up protecting other white men. These human tendencies that we've reflected on in this series to self-protect, to seek unjust levels of authority and power over and against others, to protect fellow members of the tribe at all costs are painfully on display in these systemic failures. One of the most influential clergy leaders in my life um, through my whole teenage years was arrested for sexual abuse after I'd left for college. Um, it later came out that there were accusations and red flags in his file from previous service in other states, but those were covered up by committees of other white men and he was cut loose to move across the country and to serve in a place where that history was not known. When he acted out, his was not the only failure we learned. We also learned the failure of the system of the institution. The system failed those children that he attacked and abused. And it also failed him, failing to get him the intervention he needed before he acted out. Certainly the world is aware of the systemic failure within the Roman Catholic Church, which has enabled and protected sexual abusers. While I was serving a Presbyterian congregation in Emmaus, I came to appreciate the input of the local Monsignor in our ecumenical leaders group. Um, but after a few years of being in um, that place of fellowship and sharing together, I was heartbroken when I showed up to a meeting and found that earlier that morning his office had been raided and he was arrested. A similar story of protection, cover-ups, transfers, and enabling by other white men emerged out from that set of circumstances also. This is a familiar story within all denominations of the institutional church. Despite the good and faithful intentions and service of the vast majority of clergy within these traditions, we have to admit that the systems in which they serve are flawed. Most days, I believe that I'm a kind and authentic Christian leader within this institution, that, that I try my best, to, that I've done my best to practice and preach the love, hospitality, and inclusion modeled by Jesus. However, I have to acknowledge that within the history of my denomination and the institutional church at large, the systems of the institutions have allowed 
enabled and forgiven the acting out of clergy who betray their Christian vows by their greed, racism, homophobia, condoning of violence, and sexual abuse of children and adults, among other aggressions. If we're honest, we see these tendencies by primarily white men to self-protect, to seek unjust authority, and to tribally protect. The church and its congregations uh, of every flavor are privileged institutions. Still today, people are abused, swindled, marginalized, and dehumanized by some clergy. I'm a good pastor serving in an institution that was shaped in the norms of privilege and it therefore remains unfair and in need of drastic reform. That is not an indictment of me or my service. It's an indictment of the systems of the institution in which I serve. When movements of people rose up in Boston, Philadelphia, and so many other regions demanding reform within their archdiocese for the sake of rooting out this problem of sexual abuse by a small but enabled minority of the Catholic clergy, when movements of people have risen up within the denomination I serve uh, to demand reformation of the systems of discipline in order to prevent further enabling and cover-ups by um, a small but enabled minority of the Presbyterian clergy, when movements have arisen like this in every major denomination, when, when people have stood up to say that abused children's lives matter, the response has largely been, they do, you're right. For too long, these children have borne the scars of the moral systemic failure of our institutions. Let's put in place some meaningful systemic changes to make sure we're not enabling and protecting the few clergy who might act out. When people have stood up to say that abused children's lives matter, the response has never been, no, all children's lives matter. Why would you say that the abused children are more important than mine? There's there's been a collective willingness to prioritize focus on the well-being of children who live in this more vulnerable place. And that has been done by prioritizing focus on bringing reform to the institutional systems that allowed this violence to happen. When people have stood up to say, abuse children's lives matter, the response has not been, but what about child on child crime? Why are you singling this out, but ignoring the reality that children hurt each other all the time? When people stood up to say that abused children's lives matter, the response has not been, okay, but clergy lives matter. There's not been this counter movement that somehow turns the call for justice within the systems of the institutions into an attack against all clergy. There's been a collective willingness to acknowledge that this is about the vast minority of bad actors and the ways that the institutions have enabled their bad acting and have failed to ensure that future abuses cannot occur. And this is not an attack against nonviolent clergy acting in good faith. Abused children's lives matter 
is a movement that's making the institution of the church better. It's shining a light on the root causes of systemic failure. And it's demanding that our human tendencies to self-protect, to abuse authority, to protect our tribe, and the white privilege that are like, that's like fuel for those fires, no longer enable and condone the abuse of children by clergy, who for whatever emotional, psychological reason, act out their brokenness in that kind of violence. Black Lives Matter is a movement that is making the institution of policing better. It's shining a light on the root causes of systemic failure. And it's demanding that our human tendencies to self-protect, abuse authority, and to protect our tribe and the white privilege that's like fuel for those fires no longer enable and condone disproportionate violence against people of color by certain bad actors who, for whatever emotional, psychological reasons, act out their brokenness in this kind of violence. All police forces have constitutions and bylaws by which they are required to act and serve. However, just like the institution of the church, they also have norms and traditions, some of which are selfless and beautiful, but some of which are harmful. Some of the norms of the institution of policing can be traced back to their roots as pre-abolition slave patrols and post-abolition enforcers of Jim Crow. But just as I cannot deny that in the institutional roots of the church are the enabling of abuse, greed, white privilege, paternalism, and segregation, we cannot as a society deny that in the institutional roots of policing are the enabling of violence against black communities. A black life is six times more likely to be incarcerated than a white life and will receive longer sentences for the same charges. A black life is three times more likely to be killed by a police officer than a white life. A report was recently published that highlighted the fact that in Minneapolis, where George Floyd was just killed by a police officer, the police use force against black lives at a rate that's seven times higher than against white lives. There are hundreds of videos of police forces responding to peaceful protests where the vast majority of the officers are there to protect and serve and keep the peace. But then one enraged white male officer storms to the front and initiates a violent assault. Clearly, there is a personal moral failure on the part of the offender when a white officer uses disproportionate force against a black life, too often to the point of death. But there's also been a systemic moral failure within the institution of policing. Just like the church, unions can be a double-edged sword. Matters of discipline are referred to committees of peers, which in theory ought to lead to unbiased application of justice, but in actuality have led far too often to leniency and cover-ups for the sake of protecting friends. These committees were too often stacked with white men and ended up protecting white men. Dissenters are labeled as disloyal and are fired or excommunicated. These human temptations to self-protect, to seek unjust authority over and against others, and to protect fellow tribe members at all costs are painfully on display in the systemic failure. In 2014, Eric Garner was strangled to death. The officer who killed him was never indicted and it took five years for him to be fired. 
2015, Michael Brown was shot to death despite having his hands up in the air. The officer resigned, but was not indicted and was cleared of all charges. These are just two examples. There are thousands more just like them. Stories of clear moral failures by bad actors, but also of moral systemic failures by the institution of policing whose structures have continued to enable violence rather than justice. When someone stands up to say that black lives matter, our response cannot be, no, all lives matter. That may be true ideologically and theologically before God, but it's not true in reality. In reality, every institution within our white privileged nation, the police, the judiciary, religion, education, healthcare, politics, real estate, etc., 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 every institution systemically values black lives less than white lives. We'll think more about that when we dive deeper into systemic racism. Our response cannot be, but what about black on black violence? Because that's not the point or the focus of the Black Lives Matter movement and it intentionally distracts from the focus that they're trying to bring to police systems and structures. If I'm the parent of a child abused by a member of a clergy, and I'm trying to make sure that doesn't happen to another family, another child, and you want me to focus instead on bullying at school, it's not that I don't think that's um, important, it's just not what I'm trying to accomplish. And so ultimately it's distracting and sabotaging. Our response cannot only be blue lives matter because the black lives matter movement is not an anti-police movement that is an attack against every police officer. It's a call for reform and justice within the institutional systems of policing so that the centuries long systemic failure of enabling and protecting bad actors through the exercise of tribalistic fearful and self-serving white privilege doesn't continue. If Blair, as the spouse of a clergy member, my wife, as the spouse of a clergy member, were to respond to the uh, abused children's lives matter cry for justice with clergy lives matter, yes, it's an affirmation of her concern for her spouse, which is a real and good and beautiful thing but it also distracts and is dismissive of the concerns of the abused children and their families. I have friends that I respect, praise, and lift up as the very best examples of policing. One of my friends recently made the national news for running without hesitation into a burning building. I saw a picture of another officer friend on social media earlier this week sitting in his uniform with a black child at a peaceful protest, smiling, obviously seeking to love and connect with this child and offering the child a bottle of water. They are kind and authentic officers who serve and protect selflessly as members of the institution of policing. However, without in any way taking away from the goodness of their service, we can acknowledge that within the history of the institution of policing, the institution which they serve, its systems have allowed for and condoned corruption, unfair privilege, 
unfair bias and violence against people of color. They are exemplary and compassionate officers serving in an institution of historically historical privilege that is too often tragically and violently unfair and therefore is in need of reforms. That is not an indictment of their good and selfless service, but an indictment of the systems of the institution in which they serve, an institution that still allows for violent and unjust outcomes. The prophet Isaiah stood up centuries ago and announced to the people, this is what God is asking of us. This is what the good and right life looks like. Loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free. The prophet Micah stood up and announced, this is what God requires. This is what the good and right life looks like, that we do justice and love kindness and live and walk humbly. As someone who's committed to living to the best of my ability, according to the structures, norms, and vision of the good and right life taught by Jesus, I must always remember what he said about himself because therefore that's about the movement, his movement, in which I am always seeking to participate. He said, the Spirit of God is within me, and it's anointing compelling me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to the captives and the oppressed, and restored sight to the blind. If we are not participating in efforts that are good news to those black lives held in poverty by centuries-old unjust systems, if we're not working to bring freedom to those black lives that are captives in their own land, if we're not trying to restore sight to the spiritually and morally blind among us who cannot see that white privilege and systemic racism are real, deadly, and in need of intentional deconstruction, if we do not stand up, speak up, and affirm that black lives matter, then we may be religious, or we may be biblical, but we won't be Christian. If we're ignoring or dismissing the voices and painful stories of the black community because it makes us uncomfortable, or defensive, or because we just don't want to hear it, or if we're judging and blaming them instead of loving them, Loving, which is an action and not a sentiment or a feeling, the action of intentionally seeking the betterment and well-being of the other regardless of merit and without the expectation of anything in return. If we are seeking to protect our own privilege, comfort, and well-being, rather than seeking justice with kindness and humility, the actions of love, we may be religious or we may be biblical by a certain definition but we're not walking in the footsteps in the way of Jesus. It's time for the church to be Christian again, and not just religious, and not just biblical. Movements that challenge our institutions do not harm them, but they actually make them better. The church around the world needs movements that challenge it to be less self-focused, less judgmental, less privileged, less exclusive, 
less homophobic, less paternalistic, less abusive. Although these movements create conflict with the status quo and can be misconstrued as anti-church, they ultimately reveal themselves to be beneficial to the church. They make the church better. They make it more Christian. The institution of policing needs movements that challenge it to be less violent, particularly toward people of color. The numbers don't lie. This is the reality within the institution. Black Lives Matter may be creating some discomfort and conflict within the status quo, but it will reveal itself in the long run as being beneficial to the institution of policing. It's going to make that institution better. Don't fall for the temptation to understand this as a binary and tribal us versus them choice. It is not. This is a movement stirred by the spirit of justice and peace for the sake of making a critical human institution better, truer to its mission to serve and protect all people. Instead of spending your time and energy participating in the misguided arguments about black, blue, and all people, spend it reading, listening to a black voice, setting down the rose-colored glasses and learning about the realities of the institution of policing which just like all human institutions has moral failures that compromise their mission and need movements to restore them to a place of authenticity and good faith. Thank God for the black voices that are calling for us to be better. Thank God for police officers who put their lives on the line for the sake of strangers of every race and creed. Thank God for those compelled to join in the cacophony that is calling for justice and peace within the church, within the police, within the government, within education, within healthcare, within all of our human institutions. So this life together really is one where all lives matter and where everyone can know a life of well-being. Stay home, stay safe, be well, and peace be with you all.